Welcome to the New City Fellowship West End Sermon Podcast. We hope and pray this message equips, empowers, and encourages you. And now, today's sermon. All right, for those staying in here, let's turn in the Bible to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew um, chapter 20. And we'll be in verses 17 through uh, 28. Now, as, as, uh, as Gentry had mentioned earlier, we've been going through a series in this Lenten season in these last few weeks. Uh, next week is Palm Sunday and then Easter the next week. Last week, you remember, we were in Matthew chapter 16, and we talked about the theme of following Jesus. And we looked at the passage that had the very first time Jesus told his disciples that he was going to suffer and, and die and be raised from the dead. And they had a hard time with that. And what we looked at in the message, we looked at the path that Jesus followed. You remember that? And then the path following Jesus. And Gentry mentioned that passage where he says, I'm calling you to take up your cross and come and follow me. And I forgot to say last week that in their mind, as they were hearing him say things like that, what they would think it would be like for us saying, take up your electric chair and come and follow me. Or thinking about African-American history, take up your lynching tree and come and follow after me. That's what he was calling them to do. And then where we pick up today is in the third time that Jesus announces that he's going to die and then be raised from the dead. And then it leads right into the Palm Sunday passage, which Pastor Anne is going to preach on next week. The theme for the message today is the only way to greatness. The only way to greatness. And I'm going to pick up with verse uh, 17 of Matthew chapter 20. Hear now the reading of the word of God. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is God's word. 
Let's go to God together in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word and, and what you tell us about it in your word, that it's a lamp unto our feet, it's a light unto our paths. And so you show us the way to walk, not in darkness, but in the light. Show us now as we come to your word. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in this place and the places where we're gathered. Continue to have your way in us and among us so that we can understand these words from Jesus that we read and hear. And we pray not only that, Holy Spirit, we want you to fill us with yourself. Fill us with your power so that when we leave this place, you'll fill us with power so that we'll be able to walk in light of the things that we talk about. We want the West End to be loved to a greater degree because of what you do in your people in this time. And so we're asking that now, and we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? Jesus, right? That's the right answer for everything, right? But Muhammad Ali said he's the greatest. And he was great, right? And there's lots of debates about which one is the greatest boxer. And then many people have debates. We got into this a little bit last week. We didn't even mean to, talking about people that think Michael Jordan was the greatest, people think LeBron is the greatest. I'm not going to take a poll in the room now. And in soccer, I don't know. Who would people consider the greatest? Messi? Who's that? Pele? Oh, Pele. Yeah, I, I know about him. Who would, people, who would people consider to be the greatest singer out there? Whitney, you said? How about the greatest rapper? Who? Did he? All right. <laughs> All right, I might start something in here. The greatest dancer. I, don't, I think I mentioned this before. I, I just found out online there's an argument about whether Chris Brown was better than Michael Jackson. Have y'all ever seen that? Is that I'm, that's how I feel about it. I think that's crazy. There's no comparison. So we can have those debates about who is the GOAT, the greatest of all time in all these different areas. But that's what this passage is actually about. It's about real greatness. Can I let y'all in on something? When I was a young preacher, if you've, if you've ever been a church where you have a young pastor that's the senior pastor and they're just learning how to they're just learning how to do that every week. It's rough. It's rough for the preacher, and it's rough for the people. Lord, have mercy. Literally, there's a lot of bad sermons mixed up in there. I'm, I'm serious. It takes a couple years to get in that rhythm to be able to do that. And, and I was, as I was struggling through that, one of the things in my mind, though, is, is I, I know I, I want to get better for my people. I, I want to do that. But in the back of my mind, I also was like, I don't just want to be good. I want to become a great preacher. That's what I used to think as a young preacher. Do you think that's okay? And actually, I actually still feel the same way now. I still, I want to be a great preacher. Is that okay? Is it okay to want to be great at the things that you do every day? Is it okay to want to be a great lawyer and doctor and construction worker? Is it okay to want to be a great mom, a great dad, a great gardener, a great minister, a great IT person, a great student, 
a great child? Is it okay to want to be great? I don't know. <laughs> Let's see. What does Jesus have to say about that? Because ultimately we need to know what he thinks about what it means to be great. And so that's what we want to look at in the time that we have together today. What is the, the first thing that we're going to look at is a desire for greatness. A desire for greatness. Now let's back up in the passage in verse 20. Again, let me remind us again. And this is also in your bulletins as well. So it says, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, to Jesus, with her sons. And her sons are James and John. And listen, look, try and picture that. She comes up with her sons, and she's kneeling before him. And it says here that she asked him for something. And verse 21, Jesus, it said, he said to her, what do you want? And in, in the original, I have to, the spirit of it is not like, what do you want? It's not like that. It's more like, what can I do for you? How can I help you? That's the spirit that Jesus is coming with. And this mother has come and, and, and she wants to request this. What is it that she wants to request again? Verse 21, she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Now think about that for a second. To sit at the great, now earlier in chapter 19, Jesus had told them the son of man's going to come and he's going to inherit this kingdom and you guys are going to reign. You're going to sit on 12 thrones. But what they're asking for is Jesus, we want the most important places at the right and the left. And so how does Jesus respond to that? In verse 22, Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. And he says to them, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And when he says the cup, in the Old Testament, when it talks about the cup, it's talking about getting your, your fill of something. Sometimes it's a cup of, of blessing from God. But a lot of times it's a cup of suffering or it's a cup of the wrath of God. And what Jesus is talking about here is a cup of suffering. Do you remember when he's in the garden and he's praying, Father, if there be any other way, take this cup from me right that's what he's talking about that's Jesus cup and so there in verse 22 Jesus says to them you don't know what you're asking are you able to drink the cup and what do they say we're able like they're singing the song right yeah we're able we're able they don't look how quick they answered it they didn't know what they were saying yet right but they're like we're able Jesus we can do this now you know what's wild is later on, you know what, James, he would end up being the first of the apostles to get martyred. And John would end up spending his life in exile, right, where he writes Revelation. So they would learn. And Jesus told them there in the verse, in verse 23, he said to them, you will drink my cup. But then he says, to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those who it has been prepared by my Father. He says, that is something that's up to the Father, the Son doesn't even know that yet. But then in verse 24, it gives the reaction of the other 10 disciples when they heard about it. How did the other guys feel about it? When they heard that, they, look, the brothers got their mama to go and ask Jesus. They didn't even go themselves. They, they took their mama because how could Jesus turn down somebody's mama? But, but look at what happens in verse 40, um, 
excuse me, verse 24. It says, when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Why are they mad? <laughs> right, are they saying, that's so selfish. Didn't you hear what Jesus said about taking up our cross and, and following him, right? That's the life that he's called us to. Is that why they mad? If you, they didn't think of it, right? That's right, he beat them there first. If you go back and look after the second time that Jesus tells them he's gonna die, the guys are walking on the road and it says they're having an argument. And Jesus says, what y'all talking about? And they're like, nothing. We ain't talking about nothing, Jesus. And he says, because they were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. So y'all right, the brothers were mad because James and John got there first. Imagine how Peter felt, right? He just heard, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And now the other guy's getting there in the front. What? Now, before we get too hard on them, again, let's put ourselves in their shoes. Think about it. These guys were nobodies, right? Nobody knew who they were. And now, all of a sudden, they're rolling with a rock star, with Jesus, who the one they find out is the Messiah. He's the one that we've been waiting for all of our lives, and they're with them. And he said that, that, that you're going to sit on thrones. And remember, they had left everything to follow after him. And so let's not be too quick to one, because look at that. But let's also not be too quick for another reason. The other reason is we all have that same desire. This is a common desire, to want to be great. Do you see that in yourself? Do you see that? You say, Pastor, that's somebody else. That's not me. Do you ever get slighted? Do you ever see somebody else recognized and you're like, what? Inside, you might not say it out loud, but inside, you're like, that's what I do. What, what? I'm the, I deserve that. Do you ever feel like that? Inside, there's a desire that all of us have to want to be great. And that's the application in this first point, just to see that. And just to be able to acknowledge that. And I say that to say that it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just has to be used right. So how do we use it right? Well, that's, we got to keep going to the second point. So the first thing that he shows us is the desire for greatness. But the second thing that we see is the definition of greatness. He showed us the desire for greatness. The second thing is a definition. So back to verse um, 25. Jesus, Jesus is an awesome leader because he takes this right there and he uses it as a teaching opportunity with his guys. Look at what he does. Verse 25 it shall not be so, or excuse me, back to verse um, 25. But Jesus called to them, and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. In other words, Jesus is saying, hold on, y'all. Look at the world around you. Look at how it operates. Look at how people use power in the world around you. Look at the world of the Gentiles in this Roman society. Look at what happens there. Look at how they exercise. He says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Remember, they're in the Roman culture, right? The Romans think they are the greatest nation ever in the history of the world. And so that's the context they're living in. And it says, they're great ones. They exercise authority over them. So he's saying, look, the people that are above 
they step on the people below them. And the people above them, they do the same thing. Now, does that sound familiar? <laughs> Some of y'all have experienced that right in your workplace because you've been stepped on by people above you because people step on you to get up to the next place. Some of you know what that feels like. And that's exactly what was going on there. But look at what Jesus says in verse 26. He says, it shall not be so among you. But I want you to notice what he does in the second part of the verse. He doesn't discourage this desire to be great. What he does is he gives it a new definition. What does he say? Verse 26, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And 27, whoever would be first among you must be your slave. A servant and a slave, those were the lowest positions in that society. So do you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus says, you want to be great? You want to be first? You want to be the best? Yeah, be great at being a servant. Be first at being last. Be the best at making yourself the least. This is Jesus' new definition of what it means to be great. I, I sent to you guys a video of, um, this is a, a while ago, of Dr. King's sermon on, on the passage in Mark that's similar to this. It's called, a, you know what I'm talking about, the drum major instinct. And when he gets to that part of the message, he says, you know the good news about this? That means that everybody's qualified to be great. You don't have to have your college degree to serve. You don't have to have your subject and your verb agree to serve. He says in the message, you don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You've got to have a heart that's full of grace and a soul that's motivated by love. This means that everybody, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what your position, you can be great, according to Jesus' definition. So what do we do with that? Well, one thing is I want you to think for a second. Think about the place in life that God has you right now. The place in your family, the place in your neighborhood, the place on your job. I want you to think about where that is. God put you in that place. Do you realize that right now? For such a time as this, for right now, I want you to think in that place, how can God use what he's given me? Whether it's my gifts, my, my power, my ability, my influence, my privilege, whatever it is. How can God take what he's blessed me with to bless other people that society would put beneath me? How could he do it? What, how might he be moving in your own heart to give away what he's given you for the blessing of somebody else? Not above you. That's how they would do it in their culture. They would do favors for people above them so then that would obligate that person to bless them. But how can God use what he's given you 
to be a blessing to people around you. I remember um, I was teaching a youth Bible study, actually, kids in high school, and we were looking at this passage. And I said, you know, and we were talking about this very point. I said, why do you think this is so hard? And one of the guys in my youth group, he said, because I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to put myself at the low end. I don't want to be the least. This is, it's obvious to say that this is what it means to be great, but I don't want to do that. Tell you an embarrassing moment um, where this hit me in my role. When I was a pastor in Baltimore, I got asked to do a funeral for a woman in our church. And, and, and one of her requests, um, it was Miss Elnora Smith. Do you remember her, Miss Geraldine? And she, one of her requests was she said she wanted her funeral to be in a church called Bethel AME, which is in Baltimore. It's a big, um, famous church in Baltimore. It's kind of like Friendly Temple here in St. Louis. And so we worked it out, and we were able to do the funeral at Bethel. It was, it was awesome. So I did the funeral at Bethel. We, we went to the, the gravesite, and then we came back for the meal. Now, I don't know if y'all have ever been at a black church meal before. Lord, have mercy. So, so part of the tradition, I grew up in that. I'm a pastor's kid. And one of the things that would happen is they, in the meal, you would have actually a head table. Like at a wedding reception, you know what I'm talking about? And, and what happens, if you're in the pastor's family, you sit at the head table and the people bring you the food while you're sitting there. And then everybody else has to go through the line to get their food. And actually, I didn't like it when I was a kid because I wanted to sit with my friends. But I had to sit at the head table. But anyway, so, so they have this table at Bethel. And so we're there. And, and, and Lord, I know this is going to stereotype, but, but I don't care. It's so good. The, the meal, Lord have mercy. Like, they have it on paper plates, but you can't use a regular paper plate, can you? You got to use a chinette plate to be able, and you got to carry it with two hands because it's so heavy because you got, you got, I mean, at chicken, ham, the collard greens, the greens, the, all of this stuff, and the macaroni and cheese. Lord, have mercy. I'm not talking about craft, right, out the box. I'm talking about the baked macaroni and cheese with the, with the baked cheese on the top. And, and then you put the fork in and pull it up, and the cheese is just, oh, Lord, have mercy. Woo! So they brought, they brought us the plate, and we prayed, and we were about to eat, and, and the line was waiting, right? They were going all the way around. The end of the line was right in front of our table. And so we prayed, and then we started to eat, and there's a woman that um, was right in front of us, and she turned to me, and she said, hmm, and, 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 you know, if a sister starts a sentence with whom, you know, whatever comes after that, it's not going to be good news. She said, hmm, I thought you said in your message that leaders were supposed to serve. I was like, oh, ooh, 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 that cut. I was like, oh, man, she got me. <laughs> I didn't feel that bad. <laughs> I was, I was like, that's a good point. What are you making? That's great. <laughs> but I'm like, man, what do I do? How should I handle that? Right? I'm, I'm a leader. But she was right. I had said that. And yet I'm being served. I wanted to ask my dad, because he was actually awesome at, at handling this. Because on the one hand, you want to be able to respect that church culture. And, but at the same time, you know, you know what can happen if it goes crazy. Right? You don't, and you don't want to do that. And my dad was able to walk that line 
so perfectly well. But how do you walk your line? How do you do that? Right? Isn't it hard? Isn't it hard to be able to, to feel like, it can feel like you're giving up everything you've worked so hard for, everything you feel like you deserve for the sake of somebody else? That's, that's what he's calling us to. And so what do we do with that? How do we live out this definition if it's so hard? Well, that's the last point. And that's we got to look at the demonstration of greatness. So, right, we start out looking at that common desire for greatness, and then we see this new definition that Jesus gives. And then we say, well, how are we supposed to do that, Jesus? And Jesus says, I'll show you. I'm going to demonstrate. And he points to himself. Verse 28. I'll read the verse, and then we'll go back through it. He says, uh, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, now let's break that down. We talked about that son of man idea last week, right? Jesus used that as a way to describe himself because that was a way to be able to say, yes, I'm the Messiah that you've been looking for, but other people were not going to recognize that. And so it would allow him to do his ministry without getting all these political overtones mixed up in it, getting in the way. And so he says, the son of man, and we talked about the fact that this son of man, we, we quoted from Daniel chapter 7, which talks about the son of man coming before the ancient of days, and, and he gives him this kingdom. And it says in the passage in Daniel 7, all the nations will come and serve him. But do you see what Jesus does here? In this verse 28, he does a remix on it, doesn't he? Because what does he say the Son of Man does? For even the Son of Man came not to what? Be served, but what? But to serve. Do you see how he, he, he flips that around? And if you think about that, Jesus' whole life, I'm not just talking about his death as a way to serve, but his whole life from beginning to to end. We're just going to celebrate Jesus in this last point. Is that all right? His, his whole life from beginning to end is him serving other people. He, now, he's the greatest example everywhere, anywhere of servanthood, right? And, and we can follow that example, but we need more than just his example to be able to follow it. And so, thankfully, he gave more because it says there, he came not to be served, but to serve and to what? To give his life, his good, perfect. And again, it's not just talking about his death. It's talking about his whole righteous, integrous life. And what does he do with that life? He gave that life as a ransom. What is that ransom idea? It's a powerful metaphor for that conduct. It's similar to, to our idea of ransom, right? When we're watching a movie that's about a ransom note, right? Somebody's been kidnapped and they got to give money as a ransom to be able to buy that person back their freedom. That's a lot like the way, what it meant there. The ransom was a great, enormous price that was paid as a means of release for somebody that's in captivity, for somebody that has been enslaved. Now, how does that apply to us? Well, what are we without Christ? We are enslaved to sin. We owe an amazing, great debt, and we are condemned to eternal punishment, except for those two glorious words, but God. What does the Bible say about him? We've been bought 
right? We've been purchased. We've been ransomed, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the imperishable things of the blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He's our ransom. And it says that he's a ransom for the many. And when it says for, even that little word there, for, that's important. It means instead of. It means in the place of. It means Jesus took the place of the many. There, there's a quote I, I get all the time from, from John Stott. You remember that about um, substitution. And he says, you know what? You know what the essence of sin is? It's us substituting ourselves in the place of God. That's at the root of all of our sin. It's us saying, you know what, God, I know better than you do. I'm going to take care of things myself. That's the essence of sin. It's substituting ourselves for God. But he says the essence of salvation is God in the person of Jesus substituting himself for us. He bears the sins of the many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. So who's the many? It's us. It's all those who by faith embrace this one who is their ransom. Are you in the many today? Are you at home today? Are you in this room? Is everybody in the many? The way you get in the many is through faith in this one, this son of man, who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for you. How do you get in the many? A writer would say later, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is the Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you know what it says? You will be saved, and you will be in the many. And so won't you be in the many today? What Jesus shows us is the ultimate demonstration of greatness. And honestly, this must be the basis and continuing power for our service. What do I mean by the continuing power? What did it say in the verse? The Son of Man came not to what? Be served, but to serve. You're not going to be able, and I'm not going to be able to serve like Jesus until in faith we come to be served by Jesus. And how has Jesus served us? Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it. That's how he served us. What does that song say? It says, Jesus went to Calvary to save a wretch like you and me. And the song says, that's love. Right? It says they hung him high and they stretched him wide. And then he hung his head. But guess what? For me, he died. That's love. Is there anybody that knows that love today? Is there anybody here that can testify that their hope is built? I don't know about you, but, but my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Is there anybody here today that has that hope, the hope of the Son of Man who gave himself not to be served but to serve so that we might be able to serve like him? And he continues to serve us now as he intercedes for us. I know many of us have praying grandmas. 
But here you have one that can outpray even a praying grandma. Jesus Christ, the greatest prayer warrior ever, continues to serve us as we try to be great according to his definition of greatness. Let's pray. Thanks for listening, and God bless.